This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This is a great segment, Blair, uh, looking at signs that are telling each of us that we need some help when it comes to managing debt. Um, I know that you talk to people all the time, looking, helping them look for solutions to manage debts and get financially back on track. And I know there's some clear indicators that a debt problem has kind of reached that point of crisis. And you meet with people who have delayed getting professional assistance because they weren't sure of what they qualified for or where to turn to. So can we talk about that indicators that folks might recognize as to whether or not they have a problem with debt and, and, or be on the verge of having a debt problem? Yeah, for sure, Elaine. I think that's a great place to start. Um, and, you know, the, the feeling of having a debt problem, you know, it can be different for everybody. Um, and there's sometimes there's triggering events. There can be things where, you know, you think you're doing just fine and then suddenly, you know, you lose a job or somebody gets sick or there's a divorce or a family breakdown. Um, so, you know, there can be a number of things that contribute. But in terms of the warning signs, uh, it's one of my challenges in my job is people suffer for so long. And sometimes people that I, I sit down with, they're ticking off, you know, seven or eight of these, these different warning signs here where, you know, one of them might, might send, you know, a different person in to get some advice so you know right. here's here's a bit a bit of a listing of you know things if this is you know ringing a couple of bells for you it might be a, a time for you to consider whether you're you know there is a bit of a mounting debt problem so the first one and this one is just about everybody that i see is expecting is is experiencing this is near constant or overwhelming stress about money and general finances so you know there's the old adage if you think you have a problem you probably do and that's definitely the case with debt if you find yourself there's a lot of stress you're worrying about your money and your general finances a lot uh, that's probably indicative that there's something not going you know according to plan there um, a second big warning sign, and this one, and more and more people are starting to, to really take stock of this, is if you're only making the minimum payments required to service your debts. So anyone that listens to our show knows we've, we've got a lot of, of information uh, about how minimum payments are not structured to get you out of debt. And depending on the bank that you're with, you might be making a $200 payment, but only $10 of that is actually reducing your principal. The $190, um, you know, 1920th of what you're doing there is just going to interest and the next month it needs to get paid again. So if you're only making minimum payments on your debts, that's usually a big warning sign that you're, you're on the long-term plan, which is great for the bank, but very bad for your overall financial health. Uh, another factor to consider is, are you accumulating more debt? So uh, every month, if you were to add up your debt balances, do they actually scale up every month because you're continuing to rely on credit uh, or maybe you're starting to get into the payday loan cycle, which uh, that never ends, ends well in my experience because the costs to repay a payday loan mean that you need to get a second one or a third one or a fourth one up until, you know, 10 or 15 of them are going on at once. Um, you know, one other one, and then maybe we, we can uh, chat about a, a couple of these, Elaine, uh, is using assets to pay down debt. So if the way that you're making your debt payments is by selling the things that you own, uh, or God forbid, tapping into your retirement funds, your RRSPs, or different things like that, uh, that's a big significant warning sign that, you know, something is, is, is really amiss there. 
And what about folks when we, because we see these advertisements all the time or hear them about um, uh, using your home or, yeah, using your home as an asset or as a way to uh, create money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've all seen those and they make it sound so easy. If you're a homeowner, we can get you approved without a problem. Uh, and that's something that, you know, it breaks my heart when I see someone that's done that again and again. So someone who might have, you know, owned a house in Vancouver for 20 years, they should be pretty close to mortgage free. But what they've done every few years is they pulled all of the equity out using these, these types of, of processes. Uh, and then at the end of the day, they've got no equity left. And when they actually look at their root cause, the root cause was they were spending more than they earned each month. And they were subsidizing that by drawing down the equity, the most valuable asset. So it, the whole point of a house is that eventually it's paid off. So if you're having to tap it consistently, tap into the equity, it's a sign that your monthly budget or, or something is really amiss there and you're not building the long-term wealth that you should be building. You know, anyone who's owned a house in Vancouver for 20 years should not be having financial worries. But I meet with people very often where they might have paid $100,000 for the house and it's worth close to $2 million, but the mortgage is about $1.95 million on it. They've just consistently pulled out, um, you know, a ton of the equity over time. So uh, it can it. can lead to a very bad outcome for sure. Yeah. And I know borrowing um, from anybody, but specifically friends or family to make a debt payment, I would think that that would be a big sign as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anytime where you're trying to bore yourself out of the situation, so um, that could be taking money from one card to pay another. It could be trying to get a consolidation loan and not to say that's a bad idea. It could be a good idea. But if that's also in concert with your missing payments and you're worried, you know, it could be an indication of a debt problem. What really challenges people from an emotional point of view is when they've enlarged that problem to not just include the banks anymore and the credit card companies, but now to include mom or dad or brother or sister or children. Uh, that can be really, really tough. So before you decide to resort to family resources, again, it's, it's a, good, a good time to have a conversation with a debt health professional to see, you know, is that the right way to go forward? It might be. I've seen a couple situations where, okay, for a small problem and, you know, the family has the resources, maybe that can work. But for the most part, you're just delaying the inevitable and then adding a whole other emotional component uh, to deal with your debts that wouldn't be there otherwise. Got it. What are the what are the last couple that you wanted to make sure we mentioned? I think the last two are, again, a lot of people will tick every single one that we've talked about here. They're selling yeah. off assets. They're borrowing from friends and family. They're trying to consolidate. But a couple that are pretty classic as well is, are you uncertain about how much you owe and to who? So maybe you've just stopped opening the mail or you've, you've just decided, I'm not even going to respond to anything. And when you, when you finally start to look at your financial situation, you don't know where to begin. So if you don't have a clear sense of where you're at, um, that's usually a big warning sign that your debts are probably not going to be in a good situation. Uh, And the last one almost goes without saying, but I will say it, if you're experiencing legal action, wages being seized, bank accounts being seized, or other assets being seized, uh, that's a giant red blinking light that obviously you're not meeting your obligations because your creditors are now taking judicial proceedings against you to start to recover their debts. So again, you don't need to to experience all of these or either any of even any of these to have a conversation about your debts. But if you are um, finding yourself, a couple of these are ringing some bells, you'll be doing yourself a favor by getting some information, maybe even sooner than you think you need it. Yeah. And I think that's where a licensed insolvency trustee like yourself comes into play, right? I mean, you don't have to have a specific uh, issue or you can have lots of issues and lots of debts and need to take some action. But just to sit down and and have a look through and uh, talk about it seems like a beneficial thing to do. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and one tool I, w- I would give people listening today is, you know, even if you're saying, you know, th- these warning signs don't sound there, I'm not really experiencing those, I feel like I'm okay, but you do have a little bit of a concern about your debt, are you actually going to pay it down? Uh, we call this the rule of 60 math, and it's pretty simple if you just say, what's the total amount of debt that you have, and divide it by 60. Okay, so forget about the interest for a minute here, uh, but just take the total amount of debt and divide it by 60 payments, and then take a look at that monthly payment. Is that something that you could afford to pay off over a five-year period? If dividing your debts by 60 gives you this payment that there's no way you could afford to make it, well, then you know you're not actually drawing down your balance. All you're doing is making minimum payments. Um, you're going to be as probably as far in debt five years from now as, as you would be um, you know, just continuing to do what you do. So I would suggest if you do a rule of 60, divide your debts by 60 and see, is that a monthly payment you can afford? Um, If so, you should start making that sort of a monthly payment so that you can actually get out of debt. And why, and, and, and let's talk about the role that you can play and a licensed insolvency trustee can play. Why is it that going to see you is one of the very best first solutions? Well, a trustee is the only person that's legally empowered and endorsed by the federal government to help you restructure your debts. So essentially, anybody else that you go to, uh, whether it's your credit creditor, you know, the bank or the credit card company, if it's a credit counselor, um, you know, generally they've got a, a, a horse in the game, so to speak, because of where they're funded. So if you go to the bank, obviously the bank wants to, to get the most of their money back and they're going to give you some advice, but it's going to be relatively self-interested. If you're sitting down with a credit counselor, they're essentially operating as a collection agent. They get their payments on behalf of the bank to recover all the bank's money back. They might be able to give you an interest freeze, but at the end of the day, you might not get advice for your objectives. A trustee is an independent, unbiased professional. You know, Our job is to make sure that the legislation that exists to give Canadians a fresh start to help them get out of debt, that that's applied fairly and equitably to everybody involved. And we're licensed and regulated by the superintendent of bankruptcy. So if you were dealing with a trustee and you have concerns or questions that aren't addressed, you've got somewhere to go. Uh, which you don't necessarily have if you're dealing with an unregulated advisor or dealing directly with the creditor. Uh, you may be uh, out of luck if something doesn't happen the way you thought it should have happened pursuant to an agreement. And I think the key thing here is that at what you call yourself a licensed insolvency trustee, nobody else can call themselves that unless they are that. Absolutely. It's an offense under the law um, if you refer to yourself as a trustee and you're not. So if you know you're dealing with an LIT, you know you've got someone that has, has you know, essentially a lot of uh, official weight behind what they do. Okay, so let's skip down to the idea or the question about what kind of qualifiers would someone need to have to have in order uh, to come and see you? What kind of criteria? How does that work? Yeah, and and this, I'm really happy with this answer, Elaine, because no referral is required and there's never a cost to get advice. Um, So, you know, if I think of the analogy to the healthcare situation, you need to see a specialist, well, you might be waiting, you need a referral from your GP, so on and so forth. Nothing like that. Anybody can get free debt advice in Canada from a licensed insolvency trustee. Um, And to take action on your debt, you don't need to owe hundreds of thousands of dollars or even tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, The way the legislation is written is you need to be insolvent and what insolvent means is that you wouldn't be able to pay your debts. So either if you were to sell your property, it wouldn't be enough to pay off your debts. Or if you've just stopped making your payments, you're just not able to make the payments on your debts because you don't have the income or all your money might be tied up in your house, for example, um, you could be considered insolvent. So if you come to see a trustee, you're not going to pay anything uh, to get advice. You're not going to need a referral from anybody else. Uh, And as long as you owe more than $1,000, which is just about anybody these days, um, you would have 
access to these types of remedies. Now, nobody's filing bankruptcy owing $1,000 in debt, um, but quite often people owe ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. They're considering a proposal or a bankruptcy to deal with the debt and just to stop the cycle that they're on. Yeah, and it, and it's such a oh insidious cycle too. It can impact people in so many ways. Oh, absolutely, Elaine. It's it's all consuming the people that I see. You know, it's physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual. It can be their their family relationships, their personal relationships. And what's so energizing about my job is seeing the transition that people make when they're discharged from bankruptcy or when they paid off the proposal. Um, you know, money is just one piece of a, of an overall strategy of getting their life back on track, but it's such an important piece. And sometimes you can't get everything back on track until you've dealt with the money situations. To learn more about your, your debt options, if you fall into this category or you want some assistance or some advice and connect with a licensed insolvency trustee in a local BC office near you, visit sans-trustee.com or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030, toll free. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Understanding your debt consolidation options. It sounds like a whole bunch of, (laughs) sounds like some big words, but man, oh man, it's so interesting once I start talking to you about this stuff, Blair, because I had no idea, one, about all the different options and how they work, if they're of benefit or in the long term, they may not be the best suggestion or the best idea for you. And I love the fact that we're going to walk through uh, the different options for folks who who may need um, a debt consolidation solution and uh, looking at the good and the bad news about them each. Yeah, I think it's really topical, Elaine, because anybody that I've met that's facing a debt problem, usually the first thing they try to do is to consolidate all the debt together. And let's let's just spend a minute just defining what we mean about by what we mean when we say debt consolidation. So the idea is with debt consolidation, if you're juggling multiple debts, uh, what a consolidation would do is going to simplify your life because you're going to make a single monthly payment to cover all of your debts instead of making multiple payments. So in the most common way to do this is you get a consolidation loan and the bank that's advancing you those funds, they pay off all of your other debts and you might have been paying, you know, 20% interest on one and 29 on another and 16 on another. Um, And what you do is on your consolidation loan, ideally, it's a lower interest rate than all of the other interest that you were paying. So, you know, maybe it's in the range of 10 to 12% instead of, you know, 16 to 29%. So you end up saving some money. Um, Under some consolidation plans, you actually don't pay any interest at all, which we're going to talk about that. And under other consolidation plans, you can actually even reduce the amount of principal that you have to pay back. So I'm excited today because we're going to talk about the traditional bank-funded consolidation loan, because that's what most people think about. But we're going to also talk about two other ways to consolidate debt that you might not have considered. Okay, well, let's talk. Let's go right to it then. Bank loans or finance debt consolidation. There's good news and bad news about doing it that way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with the bank loan or the finance debt consolidation, as I mentioned, that's you getting a new loan, incurring more debt. But the idea is you're going to pay off um, all the higher interest debt and you're going to be better off uh, because you're going to save some money. So the big savings is typically on the interest rate. And then it's also from a simplification point of view, you've got one due date every month. You've got one person that you have to pay. You're not juggling a bunch of different things that can make you a little bit crazy. Um, so there's that benefit to it. Um, What's the bad news the, about it? Well, the bad news is, not to put too fine point on it, uh, most people don't qualify. So most of the time, the people that would benefit from a consolidation loan are the folks that actually can't qualify for one because most of the time for a bank to advance a debt consolidation loan, they're putting their money at risk and banks are pretty smart. So they're typically going to put their money at risk when there's an asset that they can take as collateral. So for someone who's got a house with, you know, very low mortgage balance, or maybe they've got some investments non-registered in the bank, or they've just got something that they could pledge to the bank that if I don't pay off this consolidation loan, you bank will be covered because you can take this asset. Um, usually if you don't have that, it can be very difficult to, to qualify for a consolidation loan. Um, you know, sometimes what a bank will encourage you to do is say, okay, we'll give you a consolidation loan, but we need you to co-sign that loan or have that loan co-signed by somebody else in your life. Um, and that can be just a huge mistake because suddenly you've taken all these individual debts that were just your responsibility, and now you've made the consolidated amount somebody else's responsibility as well. And maybe it's someone you care deeply about. You'd never want them to be on the hook for something. But if life happens, having a cosigner and you don't pay, that cosigner could be held accountable. That's so really important. For, to, you yeah. Go ahead, yep. Yeah. I was just going to say, and I didn't realize the um, significance of having a cosigner and the responsibility that they're taking on. And they're, and people will jump on that opportunity just out of the goodness of their heart. But, oh, my gosh, it's, the, it's really, really a challenge for them if something should go awry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the, the book that I wrote a number of years ago, When Life Bites You in the Wallet, not to give too much of a plug, but it's on Amazon, um, one of our, <laughs> our, our chapter titles is, you know, when is it wise to co-sign a debt? The answer is almost never. So before you're considering co-signing, have a conversation or have the person have a conversation with a debt professional like a licensed insolvency trustee, and you might find, yeah, it's a great decision for the bank. They're fully covered, but now you've just removed that person's ability to deal with their debts without really hurting somebody else who was just trying to help. Was there anything else you wanted to mention about the downside of using a bank loan or finance debt consolidation? No, I, I think in the event that you're able to qualify, they don't need a co-signer and either you pledge or you don't pledge an asset, um, you know, it can be a good, a good outcome. Um, but the, the thing that I see with my clients is people try it and they just don't qualify. It's not an option that's available to them. Got it. Um, credit counseling, debt management plans. That was the next one that we wanted to talk about. Yeah, so if you're working with with a credit counselor, uh, you basically are getting the same impact as a consolidation in that you've got all of your debts put together into a single payment, um, but you're generally paying no interest, which is a really big benefit. So most creditors who agree to participate in a credit counseling program, they'll agree to stop further interest charges. um, So this can result in your your monthly payments, you know, really going to draw down your debt uh, and to you making a lot of headway. and with a credit counseling plan, you don't need to have a good credit rating to qualify. When you work with a credit counselor, they're essentially a collection agent working for the bank. So when you negotiate with them, they're just concerned, are you going to be able to make payment uh, to give our money back over?
over time. They're not concerned, is your credit rating high or low, or do we have to pledge assets or whatnot? Uh, so for some situations where it's just the interest rate that's killing you, it can be a good idea to consider a credit counseling debt management plan to reduce that interest down to basically zero. You're still going to pay some fees in lieu of interest, but there should be some savings there at the end of the day. Okay. Anything else you want to include on the, on the credit counseling part? Yeah, well, I think that the negative side here can be pretty significant. So, you know, number one is it's completely unregulated industry and in that there can be fees and other charges um, that you're not aware of up front. Or if you read all the fine print, you might be aware, but there's not a set tariff if you're working with a credit counselor to make sure that, you know, you're going to be charged a certain fee. So you need to be careful. Um, I think what's even more important, though, is that this is based on each of your creditors agreeing individually to accept, you know, an interest freeze. And there are some creditors that will just never accept that. Um, so the government, for example, is the number one creditor that you will never get to accept an interest freeze working with a credit counselor. So if you have an income tax debt or a student loan debt or something like that, um, a credit counselor won't be able to help you at all with them. And it's the case if you've got nine of your debts that want to participate in this plan, but one doesn't, that person can still harass you, take you to court, sue you for payment, all of those things. So it can work in some situations, uh, but it's not always the best option. It's something to consider. Yeah, it sounds like it's it's one that it's not going to work in more situations than it will. It really depends. Uh, for a small debt, maybe owed you know to one or two banks, you know it can be a good option. But you also okay. need to be aware too. Even though you're just paying back everything, but you're freezing the interest, it does hurt your credit rating. Um, so anytime you don't pay back all the debts in full plus interest, um, you're viewed as negative on your credit rating, and it's actually the same impact as if you really made a deal with your creditors and just paid them back a portion of the debt as opposed to the full amount. And that's what we're going to talk about next, which is a consumer proposal. Right, which covers so many of the things uh, that don't work in other plans works in this one. Absolutely. So a couple of really key things to highlight. So virtually all debts are included in a consumer proposal. So it includes government debt, student loans, income taxes, all of that. Um, you don't need a credit rating that's strong or weak to qualify. Essentially, if you have debt that you can't pay, but you have some ability to make a partial payment, usually in the range of, you know, 30% to 75% of the debt, something like that can be quite low. As long as you can afford to pay off that portion of the debt, um, a, a a consumer proposal can be an outstanding option. And what's really different too from a credit counseling plan is we don't need everybody to agree. So when you consolidate your debts with a consumer proposal, you're maybe going to pay back 30 cents from the dollar. And let's say eight of your creditors want that plan and two of them really are resistant. As long as those two creditors don't have a majority in dollar value, they're forced to accept this plan. As soon as we get 50% of the people you owe money to by dollar value to say yes, a consumer proposal is legally binding on everybody. You can sleep well at night knowing that nobody can ever opt out you can't be sued nothing can be seized from you so a lot of the times we sit down with someone they're trying to get a consolidation loan they've been denied when we actually put together a consumer proposal they're better off on a cash flow basis um, they're able to rebuild their credit relatively quickly and able to move on without a bankruptcy to solve their debt problem so if a consumer proposal is something you want to investigate further, check out the website sans-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation with Sands & Associates in one of their many offices in British Columbia. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So being a small business owner, anytime, uh, 
has lots of challenges for sure. And often small business people end up in some kind of debt, sometimes serious, sometimes not so serious. But the cool thing about this segment is that we're going to talk about business debt basics, common mistakes to avoid when you're dealing with a business debt, as well as getting some good information, getting good debt help for small business. And in British Columbia, virtually anyone can become self-employed. And there's tons and tons of people who are self-employed. And there's really no handbook explaining how to get the financial ins and outs of it. Uh, and that's why we're talking to Blair Manton, uh, who spends a lot of time, I'm sure, right, Blair, that you're talking to business owners who are struggling with business debts and 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 didn't know possibly some pieces or liabilities that they should have known either before they got started or as they start to wind things down. Oh, absolutely, Elaine. So, you know, being a small business owner can be some of the most rewarding times of your working life. It can also be some of the most difficult times of your working life. And to, to what you've alluded to here, Elaine, uh, the challenge is nobody sits you down and gives you, you know, the talk, the rules of the road, here's all the pitfalls. You can just start up tomorrow. Anybody can start up various structures, and we'll talk about what those are. And the government doesn't care if you don't know what you're supposed to do. Um, so, for example, I, I meet with people quite often. They might have been in business for two or three years, didn't know they were supposed to charge GST. And what happened is the government has assessed them 5% of everything that they've sold as if they had collected it. Government doesn't Mm. care whether you collected it or not. If you were supposed to collect it, it's now your liability. So there's a bunch of potential minefields that if you take the right uh, steps up front, get a little bit of advice, um, you can really avoid um, some of these things that can trip you up in the first few years of being self-employed. Okay, so where's a good place to start with this? The different kinds of businesses that people can set up? Because I know that when I did this a long time ago with someone. Uh, it was this was brand new information. I had never even heard some of these terms as we sort of move forward on it. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting too because I don't find many uh, situations where someone you know sets it out pretty straightforwardly. Here's the way you can structure your business. Here's some pros and cons. But that's exactly what we're going to do today, and we're going to start right there. So uh, let's talk about how you can structure a self-employed business in the province of BC. So there's three common ways that you can do it. Each one has some advantages and disadvantages, and definitely uh, there's some escalations in complexity as you move from one one structure to another. Uh, It's important to really get the right help at the start. So an accountant uh, and or a lawyer can be invaluable, and you don't necessarily need to spend thousands of dollars, uh, but in the space of a few meetings with a lawyer discussing your objectives, um, some meetings with an accountant so that you you understand and how your business flows and what your reporting requirements might be, um, that can be, you know, a stitch in time saves nine. Uh, that can really pay off uh, in spades in the future just by knowing all of your responsibilities by getting some help. In terms of how you can actually structure your, your business, uh, the easiest way and the most common way is to operate as a sole proprietorship. Um, so in general, if you haven't set up, you know, either a corporation or a partnership, which is what we're going to talk about next, by default, you'd be a sole proprietorship. And it's the most straightforward way to start a business or to be become a contractor. And what it means is especially you as the owner of the business and the business itself, you're the same entity. You're not legally separated. The assets and debts of the business are also your personal assets and debts. And the income that the business makes after its business expenses, that's reported on your personal tax return each year. So if you're setting up as a sole proprietorship, um, you're not setting up a separate entity. Um, you're just deciding I'm going to do work in my own name, um, or you can you can call it something else. But at the end of the day, it's still the same legal entity as you yourself. There's no separation. Right. Okay. That's easy to understand. 
Mm-hmm. And definitely that's the most common way. And I find the simplest and for most people that I deal with, you know, that's the right structure. And we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes here. Um, you know, a second way to get it set up, and this is very uncommon, I don't see much of it. And it sounds pretty simple, but there's some added complexity, which can make this very unattractive for a lot of people, uh, is to consider setting up as a partnership. So if two or more people or two or more proprietorships even are combining resources in a business, they could, and they're not required to, but they could establish formal terms and become a partnership, which is relatively easy to get underway. You just need a partnership agreement. But what's important here is that each partner is now personally responsible for the debts of the business and they share in the liabilities of the actions of the other partners. So what that means is if you go into partnership with somebody and that person signs a deal on behalf of the partnership and that deal is a bad thing for the business and the business can't afford to pay, uh, both partners could be fully liable and it's what co- what's called joint and several liability, which might mean you know, you've only invested $10,000 into the partnership, but you've got a lot more assets than that. All of your assets could be at risk because it's an unlimited liability if the partnership, uh, even if it's you're not involved, that your other partner does something that just doesn't make sense and incurs some liability. As part of that partnership, all of your assets could be called into question. So it's something you want to be very careful about. Uh, In most cases, people uh, haven't thought about that idea of the liability of all of the partners being joint and several when they consider a partnership. They just say, well, it sounds like it's pretty easy. We're going to be partners. Uh, But you definitely want to consider the downside of the liability. Yeah, there is a downside for sure. I I hadn't thought about that for sure. What's the, so yeah, what's I don't I don't see many I don't see many partnerships, and you know even a lot of the big accounting and law firms they're not set up as basic partnerships. They're set up as you know a limited liability partnership where there's a whole lot more structure behind it to try to you know again protect the assets of each individual partner. But for the average person who's listening to our our show today, uh, setting up as a partnership, just be aware the actions of your partner could impact all of your personal assets and your liabilities as well. Okay. When I see the word corporation, and I know that's the third one we're going to talk about, that seems like it, it has to be a big thing. Well, it doesn't necessarily, and, that, and that's interesting. So a corporation, again, it's a word that can intimidate some people, but all it means is that there's a separate legal entity. A corporation uh, is essentially like a separate person. Um, it's someone that can hold assets, it can acquire debts and contracts, it can sue or be sued. So ostensibly, when someone sets up a corporation, what you're doing that is to create some separation between you as the business owner and the business's operations itself. So you'd want to say, you know, if I've got a bunch of assets that I want to keep safe, I'll set up a corporation to run my business. Um, And then if something were to go wrong with the business, ideally, the corporation is going to shield me because the corporation will be liable. And, you know, I'm just the owner or the shareholder of the corporation. So sounds great so far, right? Yeah, really good. Right. But challenges abound. Uh, So the first one is, to your point, Elaine, it is more complicated, more costly to set up a corporation and then to maintain it on an annual basis. You definitely need to be incurring some accounting fees, some legal fees, uh, because it's not just your personal taxes anymore. It's the corporation has to do a corporate tax return. Um, There's various compliances for the province to keep the corporation in good standing. Um, So you should plan, you know, I would think at least in the low single digit thousands, you know, maybe around a thousand to fifteen hundred for a basic corporation. Um, just for accounting and legal fees every year for maintenance. So there are the cost and the complexity. Now, the second part, which is even if you're okay with that cost and complexity, is unfortunately the idea of a limited liability within a corporation. It can be frustrated in several key ways, which often does happen. So the first way is if you think about you've got this business, it's a new corporation, you want it to go out and borrow money, who's going to loan money to a new corporation without the ownership guaranteeing those funds? 
So if a new corporation is going to go out and sign a lease, for example, it's almost every case that I see, they also get the owner of that corporation to sign personally so that the corporation doesn't pay, the person is still on the hook. So that kind of frustrates that limitation of liability. Quite often, if the corporation is going to borrow money from the bank, they also need the owner or the shareholder or the, or the person who's running the corporation to give a personal guarantee on those funds. So even though the corporation ostensibly is a separate legal entity, quite often the obligations that you're required to guarantee mean that the individual behind the corporation is still on the hook for the most important amounts owing. Uh, the last point on this just has to do with government amounts. Um, government, uh, you know, they respect that a corporation is a separate legal entity, but if you start to run up money for GST owing, or if you have employees for their tax deductions, or even for their wages, you're not allowed to just leave that liability in the corporation, shut down the business, and move on. If you have a corporation that owes money to the government for uh, GST or for those payroll source deductions, that becomes a personal liability of the director of the corporation. So there can be a number of little minefields that sometimes when I sit down with someone and say, I want to incorporate because of this, 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 when I explain to them, well, you're probably going to have to guarantee everything anyway, and the biggest potential liabilities are the government, and they're not going to be stopped by the corporation. So do you really want to incur the costs every year of accounting and legal to do something that you know might not actually protect you at the end of the day? And sometimes people do think twice about setting up a corporation. Got it. Okay. So what's, the, so what's next? Because we just have about uh, oh, a couple of minutes left in this segment. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting, right? Because we've got so much that we need to cover. I know, uh, there's you know, a lot. Yeah, I think if we were to talk a little bit about some of the pitfalls uh, that people can run into. So we've talked a little bit um, about, you know, CRA debts, about collecting and remitting GST. And yeah. just a point on there is that the important number is $30,000. So okay. if you're starting to earn revenues of more than $30,000, that's typically when you need to start registering for GST. So what you'd want to do is there's very few professions that are exempt from GST. There are some, and I won't list them just in case it's changed, but you'd want to confirm with, with CRA based on your occupation, is it the $30,000 limit or are you just not subject to GST at all? But that's something you want to set up very, very early on within your corporation. Okay. Um, I think one of the bigger pitfalls that I see as well uh, is the idea of really avoiding some of the the hard decisions or some of the hard analysis to do with your business. So, you know, you, you really love what you're doing every day, uh, but sometimes if when a third party looks at the books of the business, you say, oh my God, like you, you've really just been procrast procrastinating. You've been putting off some of the hard decisions that you need to make. Um, so for example, um, you know, during this COVID uh, a pandemic that we're dealing with now, uh, it can be really difficult to look at your staff and say, you know what, I'm, I don't have work for you in the short term. But if you took a hard look at your business and what's happened to your revenue, that might be the right answer. You'd have to make that, that decision relatively quickly. What people often often default to doing is injecting personal funds continually into their business, You know, sometimes drawing down their home equity or drawing down their retirement funds. So it's usually a really big warning sign if you're having to basically pay money into the corporation on a regular basis or if you're borrowing more money, um, you know, to keep things operating, you might be, you know, avoiding some of the hard decisions that you need to make. So just make sure you're objective when you look towards your business and you are making some of those hard decisions on what, what can be paid and, you know, whether you're willing to invest more of your personal funds into a business that might not be able to eventually repay it back to you. Got it. See, the thing is, when you start talking about all these different aspects and things to be on the watch for, or I would think that you would be the right person to talk to before I venture into something. Am I right about that? 
Well, it, it depends. So as a trustee, I'm not a lawyer. So usually for structuring yourself, you'd want to have a lawyer give you some good insight, but absolutely to talk through the hypotheticals about, you know, if things don't go according to plan, what's my potential liability? That's absolutely what a trustee can help you with. So, you know, we'd be one tool in your toolbox, but I would still think you'd want the accountant and the lawyer to help give you some good advice on how to structure and then just subs, uh, supplement that with some trustee advice as well. Yeah, no, that makes good sense. Yeah, and cover as many bases as you can because you bring something different to the table than a lawyer would or an accountant would. And I, I guess that's what I was thinking about. Uh, so in closing, exactly right. I just want to remind you that there's lots of way to, ways to get some good information from sans-trustee.com. If you've got questions or thoughts, also give them a call and make that appointment, 1-800-661-3030 for the free consultation. And a reminder again, you're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. A very timely segment for sure, and I like that we're just hitting it right on the head. This is about managing your debt during COVID-19, and if we have time, we're going to touch on planning for the future. But I think, Blair, and I agree with you, learning tips on how to cope with debts, mitigate the stress that comes with operating a business or, or just operating within this crazy, crazy time we're living in. Uh, it's such a great idea to give listeners um, some resources and share their, those resources to help folks deal with their debts as well as some good advice. So first question, what is this pandemic from what who you've talked to and what you've seen? What is it doing to our household debt? I can't imagine anything good. No, I, you know, and the short answer in two words is nothing good. <laughs> that, that's yeah. for sure. Um, so, you know, it wasn't the case that before the pandemic, the BC consumer was just doing great. Everything was hunky-dory. We were saving a lot. We had low debt. Uh, we were looking towards a bright future. It was quite the opposite. Um, the BC consumer wasn't saving enough. Uh, very high levels of consumer debt in BC and across the country. Um, and absent this pandemic, what trustees were already anticipating was a significant surge in bankruptcy and proposal filing. Uh, for the year of 2020. So, you know, in February, which is the last kind of, you know, normal month that, that we can remember now here, uh, province-wide filings for bankruptcies and proposals, it was up more than 10% uh, over the last 12-month period. And there had been some wild swings in the last year. You know, one month it was up 35% year over year. In February, it was up 10%. So there were a lot of people already feeling pretty stretched. Um, and now what's happened is, you know, with income being interrupted, with huge uncertainty, you know, that debt stress level has risen significantly. But what's happened in terms of people filing for bankruptcies and proposals, that's fallen to an all-time low. Uh, I've been a trustee for 13 years. I've never seen such a decline in the number of people taking formal steps to restructure their debts uh, as I've seen in March, April, and May uh, of this year so far. So why do you think that is? Well, there's a number of reasons why. We're going to go into them a little bit, uh, but you know, the biggest thing is uncertainty. 
So, you know, if someone has just been laid off, um, they've got enough things on their mind right now. They don't know what their future is going to hold um, in terms of their future income, their ability to make payments on their debts. So it's really tough to plan for, you know, repaying your debts when in the short term, you're worried about providing for your family, um, you know, about making your rent payments, um, all of that. So we think once the once this pandemic is, you know, over and over is, is a relative term, uh, but yeah. essentially once government support payments have started to wind down. So, you know, a big factor has been that the government has stepped in uh, with the Canada Emergency Response Benefit or CERB as it's known, uh, and that's just been recently extended as well. So folks are, are more focused on, okay, the government's given me, me the ability to meet my everyday needs, uh, but that's usually not enough for me to meet my everyday needs and deal with my debts. So a lot of folks, you know, creditors are offering various deferred they're really focused on their short-term everyday needs, which we think that's going to reverse very, very quickly once people start getting back to work, back to normal, and once government supports um, start to turn off a little bit. So you think more and more people are going to then look at that hard truth that I'm in trouble, I need to take action, where do I go? Yeah, my, my forecast, and you know, people can hold me to this, and I hope I'm not correct, but uh, I think that 2021 will be the all-time peak in bankruptcies and proposals across Canada. I think we'll never have seen numbers um, to what we'll see in 2021. Uh, once the government support has stopped, once creditors have started to you know, collect again, uh, once individuals see, well, they're, they're just not going to be able to get out of the hole that some people are in. So what if you're one of those people that's been doing okay, but uh, not too sure again about what the future holds? I mean, we're all in a similar position. What are some of the uh, tips that you can give folks for managing their debt in the meantime? Yeah, it's kind of three big things I encourage people to focus on in the short term. Um, number one is to identify and prioritize your most essential expenses. So you need to get away from the idea that you know, if the collector is calling, that's super urgent, I need to pay them first. You need to look at, you know, essentially your hierarchy of needs in life. You know, do I have shelter? Do I have food? Uh, am I able to pay my mortgage? Am I able to pay the car loan, for example? So you really need to look at all of your essential expenses um, and think about, you know, which ones can I afford? to pay and hopefully it's all of those but if you can only afford to cover your essentials you need to be absolutely ruthless about identifying what's non-essential expenses so now is the time to take the fine-tooth comb to your credit card statements you know look at your recurring subscriptions look at your recurring payments Um, you know you need to be just absolutely focused on every dollar coming in and out uh, if it's an environment where your income has been reduced during this pandemic yeah that makes good sense Yeah, a second item here is if you do need to borrow, be very careful who you borrow from. So, you know, sometimes if your rent is going to be late, for example, you know, one option is to go and get a payday loan and then start to pay some high interest charges, but you kept your landlord happy. Um, You know, another option would be to have a discussion with your landlord, explain what you're facing and say, you know, I can give you this much on this date, the rest of it a couple of weeks later, will you agree to that? And probably they're not going to charge you a whole lot of interest or any interest, hopefully, Uh, you know, that's a better outcome than you starting a cycle of high cost borrowing. Um, So it's never advisable for you to to borrow to make a debt payment. So if you're looking to incur other debt just to make minimum payments on a debt that you already have, uh, that's generally not a good idea. The robbing Peter to pay Paul or the playing financial Tetris to move things around, you're looking at high transaction costs, increased stress levels, and you're just adding to your debt on a monthly basis, which is the opposite of the direction that you want to move in. And I think having that conversation is such a great idea, too. Uh, We've seen so many instances where landlords have gone out of their way to help their tenants in some cases, and in some cases that hasn't been the situation. But at least give it a shot, if nothing else, I think. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that just leads us perfectly to our next point, Elaine, which is all about communication. So, you know, you've heard a ton from various banks and credit unions about payment deferrals. And it's so important to reach out to your creditors before you miss payments. Uh, if you're under a payment deferral and the payment is anticipated to be missed, well, that's not going to be a surprise to anybody. You're not going to get the collection calls. They're not going to go and ding your credit for it. And most financial institutions, they're offering now three to six months with no payments. But you need to be clear eyed about this and understand, you know, in just about every case, they're not writing off or waiving the interest. Some of them are reducing it, but not all. Um, so all you're doing essentially is kicking the can down the road. You're not getting debt forgiveness, uh, but you are getting a little bit of short-term debt relief. So just be aware that you still will need to get paid in the future, but in the short term, absolutely take advantage of the possible deferrals that are available to you. And do you want to talk specifically about some of those, uh, you know, actions that folks have taken, like CRA has, has made some changes to your payment and when to make the payments, et cetera? Yeah, I think that's great to make our listeners aware of because another reason why fewer people are filing bankruptcies or proposals right now, which again seems counterintuitive, you'd think that things would be spiking, but what's happened is the creditors have essentially taken the foot off the gas nearly completely and Canada Revenue Agency is leading the charge on this in a very positive way. So what they've done is they've deployed a ton of their employees to getting people their SERB checks to making sure you know the right support is going to Canadians when they need it, um, but they're not focused on collecting old debts. So at least until September, and perhaps longer, CRA has publicly stated they've suspended collection activities on new debts, and they're also going to be addressing pre-existing situations on a case-by-case basis to prevent financial hardship. Um, I've never seen that uh, that strategy from CRA in the past, and CRA, from anyone who listens to us often, we know they're the most powerful creditor. They can seize assets without a court order, and they can seize wages, but they're not doing anything like that, at least through to September. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. Um, what else in that in that particular area? Yeah, I think I think giving people you know a little more assurance or you know relief, hopefully, uh, is it's broader than CRA now. So where I mentioned that you know CRA they don't need to go to court to seize your wages or your assets, and they're not going to do that now. Other creditors would need to go to court, but you know what? Right now, Elaine, the courts are closed. So at least through yes. to September, creditors have no hard recourse against you. They can't take you to court. They can't seize your wages. Um, so oftentimes people come running through our door because they've just been garnished or they've been threatened for asset seizure. So all of that has taken a bit of a stand, standstill as well in the short term. So it's really coming back to during the pandemic, focus on the essentials, focus on your necessities. And it's a time to plan to deal with your debts. But taking a step right now to file a bankruptcy in haste where a proposal might be a great option just a few months down the road, that's what a lot of people are choosing to do is to wait until there's more clarity. And you know what? If I was in that situation, and it's not just because I work with you every weekend, but I would go see a licensed insolvency trustee uh, to, to figure out next steps because I know what situation I'm in, regardless of what uh, others are going to demand of me eventually. I know that I'm in a pickle and I need to make some changes. Go see Blair Manton, Sands & Associates. Give them a call, 1-800-661-3030. Get that free consultation and to find an office near you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.